I think Brother Tyler put in a request for 755. So he's a little more spiritual, so. <laughs> uh, turn in your Bibles tonight to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And as we get started, I just want to thank all those who were involved in Vacation Bible School last week. It was an incredible week. Um, we saw at least five children, well, four children, one teenager um, saved. Um, I believe we're going to see fruit from that ministry for a while, but I sure appreciate all the work in setup and tear down. There were many hours. It's funny, it took us a couple hours to tear down, but it took a lot more hours to set up, of course, but appreciate all those who spent some long hours, some late nights with setup and tear down and registration and folks who sat with the kids, those who counseled the kids for salvation, those who acted in the skits and the sound people, the video people, the light people, the live stream people, the prayer warriors. It was an incredible um, task that I felt like so many from the church um, took part in. And um, one night late, my wife and I were sitting at the dining table working on final touches to some of the scripts. We were about to write a scene, and we couldn't figure out what was supposed to happen. We knew what needed to, you know, the overall point of that scene, but we were trying to figure out exactly how it was going to happen. And as I sat there about to start typing, one of the men in the church sent a text volunteering to have something happen to him in that scene. Uh, well, just at any point in VBS. And um, I looked at Laura, and I said, this is what somebody just offered to do. That's what needs to happen in this scene. So as little as that may seem, all of those little things coming together at the right timing, God just really worked. And it was exciting to see God working in the hearts of our kids and the hearts of bus kids. We had uh, more bus kids than normal um, Sunday morning as a result of VBS. So that has <clears throat> had an overflow in there and one of the bus kids got saved Sunday morning um, in Children's Church. So just excited about what God's doing and appreciate the church family coming together to make that happen. I've never seen a church family come together um, on that scale to um, put together a VBS um, like last week. And it was an awesome thing to be a part of that. Let's look at Psalm 46 now. Psalm 46, and if you would stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word, we're going to start out just by reading verse number 10, one verse, our primary text for the evening, Psalm 46 and verse number 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has to um, cut deep, to convict us of sin, to convict us of neglect. Lord, to convict us of our anxieties and our worries and our fears. And I pray that tonight we would bring all of those things to the altar. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work, convicting us of sin in our lives and um, bringing about a renewal in each one of us, a deeper knowledge and understanding of who you are. And I just pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would draw us to the cross, draw us to you, Lord, that we could see you more clearly and to trust you and love you more deeply. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So we have a very simple text, a fairly well-known text, Be Still and Know That I Am God. It's a text that is often put on pretty decorations to hang in the house, tabletop signs that have the words, Be Still and Know That I Am God. But I wonder how often we actually obey the commands given <clears throat> in this, these verses. I know for me, my first response when bad things happen, and this is a psalm of bad things, of bad things that bring about a very good thing. Um, it's actually a prophetic psalm. But I have a, a tendency when bad things happen, I often think the worst. I used to see myself as Mr. Positive. As a teenager, I was Mr. Positive. I always saw the glass as half full, not half empty. Um, over time, though, dealing with people, dealing with circumstances, y'all laugh when I say people. My, my wife bought me a t-shirt a couple years ago for Christmas that said, I used to be a people person. Then people ruined it. But I was very much a people person. I got all my energy being around people, being with people, very positive, as I said. I would um, be tempted to uh, get depressed, and I had had some time as a child where I dealt with some real depression, and um, boy, I had learned how to deal with that and encourage myself in the Lord, and I got to where that was just my automatic response there for a while. And after, over time, we can become like the Grand Canyon, which, you know, uh, against popular science over millions and millions of years, that river, you know, dug that out. I've been trying to figure out why in the last couple hundred years it hasn't gotten a lot deeper if, you know, that's been going on. But more like, um, you know, a great flood came and carved that canyon. A flood, that sounds familiar. Book of Genesis, read about it and we find how that happened, but, but you know, some water had to rush through there, and often the circumstances of life are like water rushing through our lives, and it starts washing away the, the positive things. It can, stop, it can start washing away our ability to see even the things that God is doing in our lives, and I think it's for this very reason. God has to give us some commands like this in Scripture. Now, for those of you who are well-studied in end-time events and in um, the context of this psalm, yes, I believe that this is talking about the last days when God brings about his millennial kingdom on this earth. And we see verse um, 9 fulfilled. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. I have no doubt there is great prophetic voice in Psalm 46. But yet there are valuable truths for the Christian that in the day in which we live, in this 21st century, we can find these truths to be still evident and true in our lives. So let's look at these three things tonight. Three simple things here in verse number 10. Number one, I see here my response. Not my natural response, but what my response to circumstances should be. My response to bad circumstances. Why do I keep saying that? Because he says in verse 2, Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, 
Look at verse number 6. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he, uttereth, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. These are bad times he's talking about here. But yet in the midst of bad times, what is my response? Somebody, somebody walks up and whacks me in the face. What is my natural tendency going to be? I want to defend myself. And, you know, might just sling to protect ourselves. You know, some people, their natural response to fear is to become violent. Um, I had a friend in South Louisiana. My dad had led her to the Lord. My dad and I together led her kids to the Lord and discipled them. In fact, one of her um, children is going to be here um, next month, I believe, um, preparing to go be a missionary in Japan. He's on the church schedule to speak. And, but his mom, before she died, she was a lady who was good at defending herself. Later in years, she had worse health, but we were um, in a hurricane one night, and I decided that it would be a very good time to scare her very badly because the power was out, and it had been out for two or three hours, and she was a very superstitious lady somewhat, and it was easy to scare her. So I stood in the dark between um, two doors at her bathroom sink. And when she came into the room, I stood there between the two doors, and as she washed her hands, bent over, she stood up, and I just reached out of the darkness and put my hands on her shoulder and got a good grip. And she almost went to the ground in fear. Well, my response to that was as she began to threaten me over how she was going to get even with me. And a year went by, two years went by, three years went by, nothing happened. A few years later, she got very sick, and I was at her house the day she died, and she was taken out of the house. And I knew, I believed that was her body. I believed she was dead. But when it came time for her funeral, and there was the open casket that only the family and my wife and I were allowed to go in and view, I wouldn't go view the body. Because all of a sudden, I realized this may be a huge production to get even with me. And I literally would not walk up close enough to the casket for her to grab me because I just knew that Miss Peggy was going to sit up in that casket and grab a hold of me. And I thought, this is ridiculous. This is a funeral. I shouldn't be responding this way. But my natural response was fear because that lady had the memory of an elephant. An elephant never forgets, you know, the saying goes. And I just knew this was a, an elaborate event. Anyway, Nothing happened at the funeral, but my heart was fearful. And that is how we often respond to, to bad circumstances in life. We curl up in fear. We back away. We become hard towards people. We lash out when we're attacked. We defend ourselves when we're attacked. Those are natural things to do. But there comes a time where we have to obey the command, and this is a command. It's an imperative. It is a command. Be still. God is calling for our response to bad circumstances to be to be still. This word be translated be still here, the Hebrew word literally means to relax. Anybody ever had to tell you that? Just relax, just relax, calm down. Why? We have a tendency to overreact to things. And God is calling for us here to calm down calling for us to relax. It is a command to take our hands off of something. 
And what's he talking about? He's talking about the circumstances of our lives that are really honestly out of our control. Bad things start happening. I mean, the stuff he's describing here, we don't have any control over that. The mountains begin to quake. You really don't have control over that. My mom tells about the first mission trip she and my dad took down in the mountains of Mexico in the state of Chiapas. They were up in the mountains one night, and the ground began to shake. They were sitting there eating dinner, and she said she was really fine with the shaking until she looked at the pastor's wife, and the pastor's wife, who lived in the village, looked scared. And suddenly my mom realized, we have something happening I have no control over. And when the circumstances of life pile on us, God calls for us to be still, to let go. There's a second part to this, and I... I, call this my reflection. First, my response. My response needs to be to be still. Step back. Examine what God's doing. Examine the circumstances in my life. But he says, be still and know that I am God. When bad things happen, what do you reflect on? When your life goes out of control, what do you think about? Okay, I'll be honest again. I start going to the worst case scenario. Don't we all do it? Your kid has this really weird spot. And it's okay. You put some kind of medicine on it. Some of you moms, you, you, you just dribble oil on it or something. You know, defuse something over it or something. And, and we're all like, it's going to be fine. Well, the next day you look at it and it doesn't look fine. This happened at our house the other day, and I looked at my wife, and I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. And I think in my mind, this has to be, and I thought of something that I thought it was. Uh, by the way, I, I was right when she took him to the second doctor. Um, the, do- the doctor walked in the room and said exactly what was wrong with him. But what happens to moms? Google. Open Google. What could be wrong? And you, you start putting in the symptoms. He has cancer and two days to live. You know, I mean, this is, what, this is how we look at it, is it not? Our initial response is to overreact. Our initial reflection is to think the worst. That's what we start thinking about. That's where we start headed. That's where we start heading in our mind, rather. Because it's what we start meditating on. But what is the command here? He says, first be still and what? And know that I am God. He is calling for our reflection to be on God himself. When we begin to reflect on God, it changes everything. I, um, Isaac Watts used the word survey. When he wrote the hymn, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, What happens when we begin surveying, when we begin reflecting on, when we begin putting our eyes on something, really thinking about it? When we put our eyes on the cross, what happens? A sinner gets saved. That happens Sunday morning. Um, Up in Children's Church, I was preaching in Genesis on Melchizedek. And we were talking about tithing. And Abram came and brought his tithe to Melchizedek. We even did math in children's church um, Sunday morning, and I know that's scary. I was doing math, but it was real simple math, and so everything was safe, and my wife said I did it right. So 
Um, but we started looking at, okay, if we got paid $10, what would be a tithe of $10? If we got paid $20, what would be a tithe of that? And we talked about tithing, and it came to the end of the lesson, and I just didn't feel like it was time to give a gospel invitation, but we prayed, and we sang our invitation song, and then did a game, and once all the kids had a little energy worked out, I just felt so impressed, go back to the cross, it's time for a gospel invitation. And so went back, and I took the slides backwards in the story of Melchizedek, and we went to where Melchizedek brought a gift to Abram. What did he bring? Does the kid remember? Right here, Paisley. Bread and wine. And then I asked the kids, what in the New Testament, where in the New Testament is bread and wine used? And kids started hollering out, the Lord's Supper. Yes, and what does the bread represent? The body of Christ that was sacrificed for us on the cross. What does the wine, what does the grape juice represent? The blood of Jesus, that's right. And Melchizedek, whether you view him as a type of Christ or Christ pre-incarnate, here we have Christ bringing his body and his blood to Abram. And we talked about the cross and the blood of Christ for just a couple of minutes and gave an invitation. And what happened? One of those little kids who the last few weeks has a tummy ache every time children's church starts. My wife discovered the cause of the tummy ache. She went out in the hall and she got saved. And it was miraculous. The tummy ache was gone. What was happening to that little girl the last few weeks? She was under conviction. She couldn't even enjoy the fun stuff in children's church. Why? She was under conviction. And when she got taken to the cross, everything changed and she got saved. Well, that has happened to us when we got saved. But what if on a daily basis we went before our Father, we looked into his word, we saw him for who he really is, we got to know him better, what would happen? It would change Every, it may not change our circumstances, but it would change us in the midst of our circumstances. Be still and know that I am God. This became a reality for me when I was about 10 or 11 years old. My dad was under fire. He was a pastor at a church down in South Louisiana, Abita Springs, Louisiana, actually. And one day he had a, ch a church member that began to get angry at him. Things began to escalate. He ended up writing a couple of anonymous letters. Funny how the pastor knows often who Brother Anonymous is, but he began to receive anonymous letters. He was, um, his mental capacity was criticized. His education criticized. My mother criticized it went on and on with ridiculous things. And then, of course, there were the things where he was angry that my dad was preaching against things such as abortion. And gambling was a big issue at the time in South Louisiana, and he kept addressing that from Scripture. And um, this church member became more and more angry. Then they decided that they needed to start doing something more about it. They broke into our car one night during church and smeared mud all over my dad's seat, took everything out of the glove compartments, the backs of the seats, shuffled things around. Another night, broke into our house, stole one of my mom's blouses, and strangely just left the clothes hanger on the corner of the bed. And what was with that? Other than just letting us know he could get into our house. Um... Then one day our dog got sick, 
extremely sick, and she died that day, came to find out she had been poisoned. And so here you are, there's the attacks, there's the letters, there's the car, there's the house, there's the dog dead, and now a 10 or 11-year-old boy is too scared to even sleep in his own bed. And I remember laying in our living room, sleeping on the couch. And as I lay there thinking, I'm not going to sleep at all tonight. I knew my dad had always said, when you're troubled, read the Bible. When you're troubled, read the Psalms. So I opened my Bible and I began to read. Now remember, this is just a kid, 10 or 11 years old. I begin reading Psalm 1, Psalm 2. But when I got to Psalm 3, boy, this struck me. Uh, Psalm 3 and verse 5, if you want to turn over there. David, this is when um, he fled from his son Absalom. He said, I laid me down and slept. What was I have, having trouble doing on the living room couch that night? I was having trouble sleeping. And boy, the word of God spoke to my heart that night. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I thought, I may just wake up alive in the morning. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. And I thought, well, if David wouldn't be scared of 10,000, this is only one against us. Yeah, he was mean. Yeah, he was scary. Yeah, I knew he had guns. Yeah, one of the church members had came and warned my dad that um, the man was actually dangerous and he needed to watch his back. But I realized that night, I don't have to be afraid. I've got more than 10,000 with me. I have the Lord. Verse 8, salvation belongeth unto who? The Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. I have the Lord. He is my salvation. I can rest secure tonight. And I began memorizing those verses. And I got to Psalm 4. And verse number 4, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. And what? Be still. Commune with your own heart. Lay there and think about this. Meditate about meditate on this. Let this go over and over and over in your mind. You ever lay there in bed at night and you're troubled about something and you think about it over and over and over and over. He said communion with your own heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. I learned a lesson that night as a 10 or 11-year-old boy I learned that when I got into the word of God and I allow my eyes and my heart to meditate on God and who he is, it will make all the difference in the world. What happened that night? I didn't know I was doing this, but I was being still and knowing that he was God. Now, if we go back to the beginning of Psalm 46, we see this revealed. It's just 
laid out so clearly for us. How does the psalmist begin? God, you cannot really understand verse 10 without verse 1. How does he start the psalm? God is our refuge. We could stop right there. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I, the Lord God, am your refuge. He's our hiding place. We can get away from the storm. You look up that word refuge, and what it means is a place where you can hide from a storm. A storm starts, you run under that that secure place. You know, Hurricane Katrina, I'm standing out there on the front porch of our church in South Louisiana, and we're looking at the storm, me and this old Cajun man, he passed away a couple weeks ago, great soul winner, um, one of the most fun I ever had soul winning was with him one night, and we were witnessing to a couple that didn't speak English, and it took this old Cajun man about 20, 30 minutes to figure out they couldn't understand a word he said the whole time. And at that point, he turned it over to me, <laughs> that was fun. But anyway, Brother Simpson, really great man, we're standing outside of the church um, watching the storm go over, and all of a sudden, Brother Simpson just looks at me and says, Aaron, they say a tornado sounds like a hur- uh, like a train. I said, yes, sir. He said, doesn't that sound like a train to you? I said, yes, sir, it does. I mean, we're just as calm as can be. Now I look back and go, wow, dumb, dumb, dumb. And he says, I think we should go inside. I said, yes, sir, I think that'd be a good idea. And I mean, that train sound was loud. So he and I turned around, walked inside, closed the door, bolted the, the metal doors of the foyer, and just moments later, we f- hear this weird whoosh, and this big rush of air comes through the foyer, and the crowd of us standing out here in the foyer are looking out, and those glass doors that are bolted shut sling open, and there's daylight behind us, and we turn around, and the sanctuary has collapsed where we had just been, and... Um, all of that. We were not in a good refuge in that sanctuary. But when we heard that choo-choo train come through, Brother Simpson and I knew it was time to go into our refuge. It was time to get in the foyer where we weren't going to get hit by flying things. This is who God is to us. He is our refuge. Look what he says next. And strength. What does it mean to know that he's God? It's when we start looking at him instead of our troubles, instead of our problems. We put our eyes on the Lord and we realize he is our strength. So when we're in the midst of a battle and we say, how can I make it through this? We can make it through because we know the Lord is our strength. I remember when my sister was murdered 15, 16 years ago, something like that. I remember my dad saying on multiple occasions, I can stay sane only because I know that God is sovereign. That is why I can stay sane. What is he saying? He he was saying, God is my strength. He is the strength of my mind, the strength of my heart, the strength of my flesh. And then he says, a very present help in trouble. This is what the 10-year-old boy was learning on the couch that night. I need help now. And he is a very present help. He is here right now. I had a meeting with God last night in that, that night on the, in that living room. 
And you and I can have a meeting with God every single time we get back in his word, we put our eyes on him, and we realize that he is greater than all of our circumstances. Look at verse 2. Therefore, shall we not fear? How is it that we can not be afraid when bad things are happening, when our life is spinning out of control? How is it that we cannot fear when we realize that God is our refuge, that he is our strength, that he is a very present help in trouble? It's so important that kids learn this. When things aren't going right at home, when mom and dad are having problems, a kid can look at God and say, you are my present help. When everything's going out of control for a teenager, you can look at God and say, he is my very present help in trouble. He is my strength. He is my refuge. And none of us have to fear. I mean, here he's talking about it. This is, as I've already said, this is prophetic of end time events. Sometimes you can hear prophecy about the end times and it's just so heavy. And sometimes it can be presented in such a way that there's no hope and it's just, oh, whoa, this is awful. And I just wish he wouldn't talk about that anymore. But look what he says before he talks about this end time prophecy. What does he say? He said, he's our present help. The psalmist is setting the stage. Oh, we're about to talk about what's going to happen one day, but we don't have to be afraid. No fear here. Why? Because he's our present help in trouble. No matter what that trouble is, at any time in history, he is there to be the help for his people. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of our God and the high place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. So here he is, he's talked about bad stuff, and now he inserts again something good, something positive. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. You realize, I, I know he's talking about, uh, he's talking about God's people, Israel. I know he's talking about Jerusalem. I know he's talking about his dwelling place there. But it's true for me, as a believer, I am the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And he is in the midst of me. I'm not going to be moved. God shall help her and that right early. And so I can know just as this is true for Israel one day, it is true for me today. The heathen raged. Oh man, there's so many heathen in this world today. Just go to the store. There's insanity all around us. Turn on the news. No, don't turn on the news. It's not worth it. We see the heathen raged. We see the kingdoms moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Oh, here he goes again. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's like, I don't worry about that stuff. Oh, don't focus on that stuff. Here's the important. Put your eyes here. Be still and know that he is God. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I love verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. When bad stuff starts happening, what do we start seeing? When someone attacks us, when someone lies about us, when someone hurts us, what do we start seeing? We start seeing the bad. We start seeing the negative. 
We start seeing our reputation crumble. We start seeing our work just like it's all been in vain. Yet the psalmist is telling us, come and see the works of the Lord. What he's doing. Look at this. What desolations he hath made in the earth. Oh, you look at all the desolation in the earth and you think it's so bad talking about the end time prophecy here. He said, but it's what God has done. Yes, it's a, 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 a work of judgment here. But the psalmist saw the hand of God. And I have to encourage you, when things go wrong for you, stop looking at all of the bad and start looking at what God is doing. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, why did this just happen to me? Why did this just happen? Am I doing something wrong? Okay, legitimate question. Is there something I need, I need to examine in my life? My mom used to always drive me nuts as a teenager when something would start going wrong at church. We'd sit down at the table. I was my dad's assistant pastor for a number of years. So as a young adult, we would sit there at the table. Something would be going wrong. Somebody would be upset about something. My dad would start being, laying out what was going on. This is the accusation. This is what the issue is. And my mom would say, well, first of all, you two need to ask yourself, pastor and assistant pastor, have you done something wrong? And there was a time where finally I'm like, you, you, do you really not think I'm already asking myself this question? I do not need a second Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't really say that to my mom because I would have woke up next week. And, um, and I don't mean the week after that. I mean next week, next week. I didn't ask that. I didn't really say that. But she was asking a legitimate question. I need to examine myself. But what I often found is that the biggest attacks came, and it was frustrating to me. I didn't understand it when things were going so right. What is this? I remember one time my dad was preaching the best he had ever preached. I mean, we were talking powerful sermons, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, it was good preaching. And I heard a man walk into the um, foyer one day and say, Pastor, I need to meet with you. And he came in to meet. He didn't know I was in there, I guess. And he tells my dad, he's like, I am just not being fed. I am getting nothing out of your sermons. Your sermons are not. And it was all about my dad's sermon. It was my dad's problem. And the funny thing was, right before the man walked in and said that, I had just looked at my dad and said, I don't know what's going on in your life, but these are the best sermons you've ever preached. They are so powerful. Moments later, somebody else walked in and said, these are the worst sermons. I'm not getting anything. I want to go to a different church where the preacher actually preaches good. And I stood there thinking, this isn't even sane. This is opposite of reality. Everybody else in the church was saying this was great. What, what is the reason? And I realized, oh, God is working. God is working. Well, that became exciting. Because I see the hand of God. When things start messing up in my life, I can get excited. Because I can see the hand of God, that God is working. Verse 9, he maketh wars to cease. You realize, God has the power to stop wars. Then why am I worried about the insignificant, compared to a big war where thousands of people are being killed, the problems in my life are really small. Amen? And if God can make wars to cease, can he not take care of the problems in my life? Then why on earth would I fret about them? He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
So my response should be when things start happening and I want to grab hold and I want to take control and I want to regain control of my life, what I should be doing is stepping back and letting go and saying, okay, God, I want to know you better. Yeah, everything's falling apart, but I need to know you better. And then I get into his word and I start seeing who he is, that he is my refuge, that he is my strength, that he's my very present help in trouble, that he is the God of Jacob, my refuge. He is my help. He is my God. He is my salvation. And then what is going to be the result of all of this? We have my response, my reflection, and my reality. What is the reality of the whole thing? The last part of verse 10. This is the part that doesn't usually end up on those wall hangings that I talked about a while ago. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You realize as long as you're trying to maintain control of your life and your circumstances, God is not going to be exalted. But when you stop trying to force the hand of God, God will show himself strong. There's so many times that my wife and I don't do this together, but we do it separately and then confess it to each other later. Once we've repented of it, we're bold enough to tell each other what we did. And we're praying about something in our lives. And then finally one of us admits to the other one, we've been giving God all the good suggestions on how he could fix our problem. And my wife and I have both found in our lives, in our marriage, that when we quit giving God ideas, he starts taking care of it. My natural response is to give God ideas because I am so wise and so all-knowing. And so that's probably why I have gray hair. But here, we in our all-knowing wisdom, and I say that so sarcastically, we try to give God ideas when God just needs for us to stop, to look at him, and watch what he does. Because when he takes control, things are going to be amazing. Verse number 11, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob. In case we missed it before, he says it again. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And I wrote this in the margin of my Bible. You must be still before you can really know who God is. And it could be true, we must be still before God is going to start really exalting himself in our life. Do you want to see God work? Do you want to see God do an amazing thing in in the areas of your life that right now feel out of control? I don't know what the circumstances are in your life. I know I'm preaching this to myself, but I don't know who else needed this tonight. But you know who you are. And as I've been talking, I know that the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart. You know, I told about that time that my dad was under such attack Our dog had been killed and everything. And well, the church member gave my dad a second letter. And I'll never forget my dad telling us later his response. As we sat at home one night, he told us what he had done with the letter. He had taken the letter after he got it from the 
post office. He brought it to the church. And he remembered the king of old from the Old Testament who had gotten a letter from the bad guy. And what did he do? He brought it into the tabernacle, or into the temple rather, and he opened the letter and he laid it out before the Lord. My dad went over to the church by himself, went into the church house, opened the letter, laid it out on one of the prayer benches, and said, here, Lord, here's what they're saying. Here's what they're doing. Now what are you going to do? I'm giving it to you. Can I challenge you, whatever the circumstances are in your life, those things which you keep trying to maintain control over, can you bring those to the altar tonight? Can you lay them out before the Lord? And when you do this, I promise you, God will be exalted in your life. And he'll do things that only he can do. Every head bowed.